Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. Come on, you guys excited to be in the house of God this morning? So good. Well, my name is Jeff, once again, so excited to be with you, and uh, we're going to continue our series, Basics. We kicked it off last week, and uh, we're going to be continuing that week, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to get there in just a few moments, John chapter 1. But before we do that, last week we started in Basics, and we talked about worship, and the whole idea of Basics is we're going through the basics of Christianity. What are the things that we believe are absolutely essential to following Jesus? What are the things that, when it comes down to it, if you were on the game of Survivor, you needed to know these things to make it and be the sole survivor? Come on, somebody. Ah. Anyways, you know what I mean? Like, what are the things that you need? And last week we talked about worship. We said, listen, you need to understand how to worship and practice worship. Otherwise, you will not be able to survive as a Christian and certainly not thrive. This week we're going to continue with something that I believe is equally as important. And we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about the importance of understanding the Bible, the scriptures. And a few things before I dive into our our text this morning. I want to give you some historical facts about the Bible. It was written over 1,500 years on three different continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa, and it was written by 40 different authors. Now, these authors, uh, some of the same authors wrote the same different books, and, and so there's different authors for that, and it's composed into two divisions, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew and some Aramaic, and the New Testament was written in Greek. So with all that going on, you may be asking the question this morning, or maybe someone has posed to you about your Christianity, what makes the Bible reliable? What makes you believe that this is actually real? And what I want to pose to you this morning is that the Bible has one author. Different authors wrote it, but it has one author, and that's God. Jesus and God, God wrote the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit, using people to write down his words for humanity. It is God breathed. And what, is, what that means is there's human authors that wrote it physically, but God was the one who was orchestrating this word. This is the most famous book in the history of the world. It's the bestseller across all the world. This book is important. But check, that, check out this verse, and I think it really kind of ties together what we're talking about. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this, All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. It's the Bible we're talking about. This morning, I want to present for your consideration the importance of the Bible in our lives. And I believe that this book holds the keys to your freedom, and this book If we can get to the understanding of reading, studying, and really holding on to and reflecting this book, I believe you will be transformed. John chapter 1 is our main text this morning. I'm going to read eight verses and then we're going to pray. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Without Him, not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was not a man sent from God. There was then a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. 
We thank you that you speak to us through it that is absolutely essential to our lives. And God, I pray this morning that we would be able to take this, this Bible and make it practical for our lives. That when we leave here this morning, we would have something that we can hold on to, to really hang on to what your word says. And we would leave here more encouraged, more challenged, and better than we did when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, as you if you if you don't have your YouVersion Bible app, I want to let you know something that's really cool. If you have a YouVersion Bible app, if you search Bible app, it'll probably be the top one that pops up. You can actually find all of our sermon notes on there. And we're rolling that out specifically this weekend because of the importance of the Bible. If you go to more and then events, you can find our church on there and you can follow right along with the sermon notes and even take your own notes and add them to there because we really believe that the Bible is important. And what I want to do is not just take these 30 minutes or so, depending on, you know, hungry, you know what I mean, hunger and stuff, 30 minutes. I don't want that to just be a moment. I want this to be something that's solidified and creates momentum in your life. And I believe that the Bible holds a lot of nostalgia for the American church and for American Christianity. It's kind of like, it's good. And everyone knows something about the Bible. Like, we all know some story. Like, you know, Jonah and the whale. or You know some story about the Bible. And I was very fortunate to grow up in a home where we had a plenty of Bibles, you know. And not that I ever read any of them until I got to Bible college. But we had a lot of them, okay. And I remember conversations at family parties and groups and where we would talk about the Bible says, you know, my grandma would always say that. And many times it wasn't in there, but she was just saying it, you know, and so it's whatever, it's fine. You know, I guess if you want to go that route as a grandparent, you know, use it, you know, if your kids aren't reading it, what will they know? Anyways, um, but the Bible says, like, right, we had these understandings of the Bible. It was such an important book. And, and sometimes it was so easy because I, I think about this, the Bible was so extremely accessible in my home, but it was also equally as difficult to get the passion and find the passion to read the Bible. It was so easily accessible, but I never picked it up. In our society with technology, the ability to access the Bible through the very app that I just talked about, we can access the Bible anywhere where we are. However, in many parts of America, we're living in a post-Christian or as a post-Christian nation. What that means is that people who are, the children who are growing up in America have no understanding of the Bible in their daily life. It's post-Christian. Many parts of America, not all, but many parts. And it's interesting because sociologists actually believe, check this out, that the constant ability to access information is going to be the reason why Americans are left behind in many technological and scientific advances in the next few years. They argue that the instant gratification of look it up, find it, actually hurts us in the long run. Because I look up, I find it, I learn it for a moment, but it never solidifies in my life and it never becomes a practice and I move on to the next day. They actually believe that if we don't learn to practice information, study, and reflect on it daily, that it will not be solidified and we will not have an understanding of many practices moving on because all across the world and these different nations, they don't have the same access to information that we do, so they have to learn it the old-fashioned way. Therefore, it's more solidified, and so they find better results. It's interesting. And I can't think of a better picture than that to talk about mainstream Christianity. We all know something about the Bible, but, and we can all Google, you know, who's had a hard day? I'm struggling, 
you, you Google Bible verse for depression or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've been there, you know what I mean? Someone's like, what's a good Bible verse? And I'm like, ah, Google, you know what I mean? It's a great place to start, but it ends, us, ends up crippling us in the long run because we don't have a solidified understanding of who Jesus is. So today, I just want to give you three thoughts to think about the importance of reading God's word and studying and reflecting on it every single day. The first one is this, if you're taking notes, the Bible helps us to know more about God. I'm gonna go back to the first three verses of John. I'm gonna read them again. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, not anything that was made was not made. I think I had some dyslexia at the end there, but, <laughs> right? So what does that mean? Like the word, like do you know what it makes me think of? The word is the word, and the word is the bird, and the bird, 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 and the word is the word. You know what I mean? That's what it makes me think of. I don't know about you, but like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, how many times can they say word? Did they just put it in there when they didn't know there was another word? Word. It's like, no, it means something, okay? So when it just, just to bring it, and maybe that's just me. I'm like, I have no idea what this means. Here's what they're talking about here, just to, just to bring it down. The word that they're referring to is actually Jesus. I said in the New Testament, was written in Greek. And so if you're looking at Greek in the New Testament, that word word is logos. Logos is an ancient Greek word. It has super deep, rich meanings when the readers look at it. And, and check this out. Greek philosophers, they thought logos, or they meant, they saw it as this. It was the power that puts sense to the world, making the world orderly instead of chaotic. So when they say logos, they're saying this is so important. This makes our world order instead of chaos. They also said that it's the power that set the world in perfect order and keeps it moving in perfect order. That's what they're talking about when you see logos. So essentially what John is saying is this. For centuries you've been talking about, writing about the logos, the word, something that keeps this world in order, something that keeps us moving forward, something that keeps us away from the chaos, and I'm going to tell you who it is, and it's Jesus. That's what John is saying. I'm gonna tell you his name is Jesus. Jesus is the central character to the Bible. The entire book of the Bible is about Jesus. From the beginning all the way through the end, it's about Jesus. The New Testament talks about Jesus' coming and his acts and then his disciples continuing on the church. The Old Testament prophecy about who Jesus is and when he will come. It's important to understand that Jesus when we talk about creation and we talk about what they're talking about here is he was with God in the beginning. So it's important to understand that God did not create Jesus, but he was with God. He's a part of the triune Godhead. He was with God in the beginning. So when the earth was created and everything was created, Jesus was there. He was with God. Jesus existed with God in the time before it was formed and then after the earth was formed. Jesus is eternal, part of the Trinity. And understanding the existence of Jesus is very important and essential to our faith in that way because many people believe that Jesus' life started in a manger. No, he came down from heaven to earth and created human and humanity in that way, but his life did not start then. He was in the beginning with God. And, and I think that can really, when you kind of take it that way, it can give you a lot of understanding and a lot of confidence in who Jesus is. Because Jesus was there when it was created and the Bible tells us he's going to be there through eternity so I can have some trust in him when we're talking about Jesus. Can I really put my trust in Jesus? Yes. Why? Because he was there before, he's there now, and he'll be there forever. 
I can put my trust in him. Through this Bible, you can learn things about Jesus. Everything in the world, all th- here's what it says, all things were made through him, meaning that everything in the earth that was created was created through Jesus, with him. He, he was there creating it. Check out this verse in Colossians, verse one, or chapter one, verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The story of the scriptures, story of this book, tells about Jesus. I could go through all books, but I just decided I'll pick a few here, and I just want to, just to give you a little bit of understanding, I want to tell you about where Jesus is. In Genesis, he's the seed that bruised the servant's head, serpent's head. In Exodus, he's the fire by night and the cloud by day. In Leviticus, Leviticus and Numbers, he's the high priest that make the intercession for the people of God in the Holy of Holies. In Joshua, he's the captain, the host of the army of the Lord. In Daniel, he's the one who stood in the burning furnace with the Jewish boys. In Hosea, he's the loving husband who constantly goes back and redeems his adulterous wife. In Matthew, he's a baby in a manger who came as a sacrifice for you. In Romans, he's the fulfillment of the law, the only fulfillment of the law that takes away condemnation. In Hebrews, he's the great high priest who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Revelation, he's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. All throughout the Bible, it's about Jesus. Every single book, every single page is about Jesus. And if we want to live victorious, if we want to know Jesus, we have to know this book. First point that that I really want you to know, if you want to know Jesus, you have to know the Bible. You can't circumvent the Bible and just be like, well, I just know Jesus and I know him without the Bible. It doesn't work. The Bible tells us about Jesus theologically and stories and understanding. This is our guide to know God. It's the first point. Second one is this. The Bible is our blueprint for victorious living. John chapter one, verses four and five, we're gonna continue. It says this. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus not only gives us access and connection to God, he's our gateway to God. Jesus is the light in which we overcome the darkness in our life. He's the light. Jesus is the permanent sacrifice for our sin. He enables us to experience victory while living in a a world of defeat. I, I love that verse because... There's so many people who have talked to me before and they'd be like, well, I don't want to go there because it's too dark. Or I don't like working where I work because it's too dark. And what I think you need to understand is get this verse around your heart because the light always impacts the darkness. In fact, he's saying that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never overcome it. So you don't need to find a new job if your job is dark. You need to be the light and bring the light into the darkness. Jesus is the light. Check this out in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 16. says this, Since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Jesus is the living word of God. He's the, he's a word of God in fresh, in flesh. He's experienced everything that we've encountered. What this verse in Hebrews is talking about is that Jesus completed everything that he needed to in order to become and earn the right to be our high priest. In Israel, it was a big deal for the high priest. Jesus went through everything. He went through the fasting. He went through the cleansing rituals. He was without sin. So he's the true only, he's really the only high priest because he was without sin. He did everything he needed to do in order to earn the right to become our high priest and sit at the top. And then he laid down his life for you. That's what this is saying, that Jesus is the only high priest. He, he earned everything. And, and, and through that life, it wasn't like Jesus didn't see sin or didn't feel sin. He paid for our sins on the cross. He felt every sin. He, he, he was there. And, and, and what I think is interesting is we got to understand that Jesus, in this context, he knows what you're going through. He knows what that depression feels like. He knows what that anger feels like. He knows what that loss feels like. So you can go to him with those things in confidence. Check out this verse. It says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. What he's saying is this, you can go to Jesus with confidence and receive mercy, which is basically meaning that you get what you don't, you don't get what you do deserve because Jesus paid for it. And grace is unmerited favor that you don't deserve that you do get. In church, I think many times when we're looking at this verse, what happens is we say, approach God with confidence. Well, you can't approach God with confidence without first confessing with your mouth and believing your heart that Jesus is Lord. You have Jesus as your Lord, of save, Lord and Savior. And, and then it says that Jesus comes and lives inside of you. He's inside of you. But what happens a lot of times in church, and I've seen this, and I think it's very unintentional, but what we do in this whole aspect of living victorious, what we do as a church is we wait. We start with behavior modification. So if someone comes in and they're swearing, but then three months later after coming to church, they swear a little bit less, we're, hey, it's victorious. And, and it's... And, and that's where we end it, but that's the problem. It's, it's well, we, we see a little bit of change, but then we move on to the next person because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of issues and everyone's messed up. So we, we see just a little bit of victory. And so there's a lot of people in, in a lot of churches that have a little bit of victory, but not whole victory. Because we get to victory and then we stop. We stop pushing. We stop encouraging. Because what happens is we're focusing from the outside in. But you'll never have change unless you focus from the inside out. That's why Jesus says, I gotta become in your heart. I gotta start with the inside and then I come out. Have you ever been a part of someone in church where you see someone change from the outside in? They change their clothing, but they still act the same. Well, nothing's really changed because once they change clothes, they're back to the same person. But when you change from the inside out, your priorities change, your desires change, your passions change. Everything changes because the inside of you changed first. And, and I think this is very difficult because the hardest thing that happens after we make our decision to follow Jesus, this is hard in, I think, everyone's life, mine included, is what happens is we get a crack in our confidence, 
Because it says specifically that you can approach God with confidence. And it's the hardest thing to do after you make that initial decision to continue to approach God with confidence day after day. Why? Because what happens is the enemy of our soul and just life as a whole has circumstances that come into play. And our circumstances put a crack in our confidence. And when your circumstance of I screwed up here, I messed up there, I, I failed here, I had a sin here, your, your, your circumstance puts a crack in your confidence and therefore you stop going to God. But if we allow our circumstances to put cracks in our confidence and, and stop going to God, we won't have confidence and we have this divide. It's what the enemy tries to do because here's what happens. You screw up. Or for some of you, he'll do it this way. You miss church, and then it's like, enemy comes out, you better not go back there. They're going to know you're missing, and they're going to come at you and be like, where were you last week? Like, you know what I mean? And then they always fold their hands. And it was a huge mistake because my armpit is extremely sweaty. So now I just don't want to take my hand out. Horrible. Right? It's just like that's what happens though, isn't it? Like all of a sudden you mess up and then the enemy is like, whoop, better not go back. They're going to know. They're going to know. God's going to punish you. But God says that you can approach his throne of grace with confidence. Yes. Not, not, not with I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm shriveling and I'm afraid of what God's going to do to me. No, that I can approach him with confidence that I will receive mercy and grace no matter the situation, no matter the struggle, no matter what I did that week. I can still come. And I want you to know that there's someone in the room this morning that that's for you. That you got dragged here this morning or you barely made it because you've had some cracks in your confidence. But God wanted me to tell you this morning that you can approach him with confidence. You can approach him with grace. Don't let circumstances change your confidence in Jesus. Go to him daily. Check out John chapter 16 verse 33. It says this, I said these things to you that in me you may have peace, because in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus wanted to set a practical model for following him, for following God. Jesus already did the hard part on the cross. Don't crucify yourself. You won't do it. It doesn't work. You'll punish yourself. God took the punishment. Accept his grace. Accept his love. Accept his mercy. It doesn't work that way. It's not our job to win our own victory. You can't earn it. You have to accept it. Victorious living comes through confidence in God's mercy and his grace and his love. You can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. True victorious living does not just come from knowing God's word, but it comes from practicing, from studying, from reflecting, and from living from God's word. One of the people in the Bible who had the most emotional roller coaster is David. And, and I love what he says in Psalms chapter 119, verse 105. Your word is the lamp into my feet and the light into my path. I mean, David was an emotional wreck. You know what I mean? One day he'd be like, God, break their teeth on rocks. You know, and the next day he'd be like, God, I love everyone. You know what I mean? Like, he, that's who he was. He was the first emo, okay? Like, that's David. And, and, Yet, he said, here's the only thing that can solidify me, your word. Third one is this. The Bible is the ultimate job description for the believer. Last two verses, John chapter 
1, verse 6 and 8, it says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to, wear, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The last thing I want you to see in John chapter 1 is the introduction of a guy named John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, he was, he was a tough dude, okay? I mean, he was, he was going around, and he would yell at the Pharisees. He'd be like, repent, you snakes. I mean, he was tough. I mean, he was awesome, you know? He, he believed in Jesus. And this verse, this is John the Beloved. This is John the Disciple talking about John the Baptist saying, he is not the light, but he came to testify about the light. He came to talk about the light. He came to tell people about the light. The Bible, through this, helps us discover who are we telling people about. We're telling people about Jesus. But it's an ultimate job description because in Matthew chapter 28, the Bible tells us to go and to make disciples of all nations. God has instructed us to go. John the Baptist bore witness about Jesus and told everyone about God. Whatever your vocation, whatever your job, whatever your situation, wherever you are, you can tell people about Jesus. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to bring good things and bring love. The mark of a true believer is not just how much you know, but it's how well do you serve. How do you serve with your time? How do you serve with your talents? How do you serve with your treasure? I was talking to this mature Christian one time, and they told me, they said, well, your messages just aren't deep enough for me. I said, okay, I'm sorry about that. Hurts my feelings, but I'll deal with that later. And said, you know, well, I, I kind of asked some questions. I said, well, what are you doing? Like, how, how are you serving? How, how are you here? How are you serving? What are you doing with your time, talent, treasure? We actually just talked about that in, in one of the sermon series at the time. And they said, well, I'm really busy. I don't have enough time to serve, and I don't really have any talents, and you know, i just been praying about whether I should give or not. Well, I don't know if you're as mature as you think because maturity is based on not how much you know and how deep you want to get. It's how well do you serve. Yeah. So if you can't serve, then maybe you're not as mature as you thought. See, maturity is saying, I'm going to serve with those things. Maturity is saying, I'm going to sacrifice a service and I'm going to serve in life kids because those kids are the future of the church and I'm going to pour into them and love them. Maturity is saying, I'm going to sacrifice what I have to step into and invest in someone else. We have so many people at our church and I just want to encourage you. I want to lift you up. I want to just tell you how amazing you are that set up and tear down everything here every week. I mean, you better give it up for everyone who serves on a team, even if you're on a team. Give yourself a hand clap. Unbelievable. You know what that is? Maturity. That's maturity. When you get here early, when some people get here at 7, 6.30 in the morning, I mean, that's unbelievable. That's maturity. You're stepping up. You're being a part of it. And if you're not yet, that's okay. That's okay. You can still be a part of it. We want you to take a next step. We want you to be a part of the team. Join us in this journey. God has a gift for you. He, he, he wants you to use it and step into that. He wants you to go. It's a job description. How are you serving? How are you serving? The Bible shows us through the life of Christ, through prophets and the apostles, that the goal of the gospel is to see lives transformed. We have someone come up to, to the keys at this time. 
The goal of the gospel is to see lives transformed and God's kingdom expand. So if you're gonna ask me one question, why does our church need to, go, need to grow? Because the Bible says so. And because it's not about numbers, but it's about names. It's about names written in the book of life. It's not about numbers. It's not about butts in the seats. It's not about big things. It's not about Instagram posts. No, why does our church need to grow? Because there's more people living in this area. There's more people in Appleton, in Menasha, in Kakana, in Little Shoot, whatever that is, in Grand Shoot, everywhere, in Nina, that need to know Jesus. Why does our church need to grow? Because there's more names that need to know. Because there's more people that need to know. The job description of this book says, bring people because it's good. Bring people because the yoke is easy. Bring people because it will make their life better. The message of Jesus says this, that I'll never be comfortable with where we are because I know there's people all across the world that need to know him. And I want to make my life goal that hell is empty and heaven is full. I'll live in a bungalow if it means there's more people up there. Come on because we want everyone to come to the understanding and following of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, this is incredible as a Christian. Check this out, just, just receive this. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is of your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let your life be a sacrifice of, hey God, I'm gonna make you everything. In my job, in my family, in my money, everything. You're gonna be everything. I'm gonna ask heads bowed and eyes closed all across this room. If you're in the room this morning, you listen to the message of Jesus and you've been listening to the message of what he did for you and how he died for you. And today you wanna give your life to Jesus. You wanna do what the Bible says is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. You said, you know what? I came in here this morning and you know what? I'm not sure. I don't know if I know God. And I wanna make that decision. If that's you all across this room, the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand up. No one looking around, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you wanna make the decision to follow Jesus today, if that's you, Lifting your hand is just a sign to say, God, I'm giving my life to you. And then we're gonna repeat a prayer and pray. Close our service. On the count of three, if that's you this morning, you're gonna lift your hand up. One, two, three. Shoot them up all over this room. Yeah. Yeah, I see those hands. Thank you. You can put those hands down. Right now, I'm gonna ask the church as a whole to re repeat this prayer after me for the benefit of those who are coming to faith for the very first time. Say, dear Jesus, I give you my life, all of my sins. I turn from my old ways to trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I believe you rose again to give me new life. Place my hope in you Make me a brand new person. Give me a brand new start. And I'll live for you from this day forward. 
Amen. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your challenging word that we will give our life to you, God, that we'll have victory through you, and that as Christians we'll go and find people because of your word. God, I pray that your word will be written on our hearts. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you give your hands together? Put your hands together for those who gave their life to Jesus today. Man.